Leadership Show with Andy Peck. Welcome to the show that aims to help you lead according to God's ways. To start, I'm going to make a series of reasonable statements that you will want to say yes to until you don't. So here it goes. Is it the role of a Christian leader to serve those they lead? Is it the role of the Christian leader to empower? Is it the role of the Christian leader to encourage those they lead to use the gifts God has given them? Is this the case for all people everywhere who follow Jesus? Is this the case for the women you know? It's that last question where you may stumble. You may, like me, have grown up in a culture where the local church believed that some roles and activities were male only, including in particular those of leadership and preaching in gatherings made up of men and women. So as a result, there are many who are uncertain about who they should promote. And there are women who, even though they know they are gifted and called, are made to feel like they don't really belong, or they have to deal with those who don't accept their leadership or their preaching. You will know that there have been debates over this for many decades, and we've considered the topic on the leadership show. But I'm glad to say that this week I'm joined by a woman whose work is not only helping sceptics about women in leadership change their mind, but also helping women realise that there never really was any question about it as far as the New Testament is concerned. Her name is Marg Mosco. She has an MA in Early Christian and Jewish Studies from Macquarie University, Sydney in Australia. And she blogs on these themes at her name, Marg Mosco, which is subtitled Exploring the Biblical Theology of Christian Egalitarianism. So welcome, Marg, to The Leadership Show. Thanks for having me, Andy. But did you grow up in a, a patriarchal church where the kind of description I gave in the intro was true for you? I did. I did grow up in a patriarchal church. I grew up in a Dutch Reformed church where patriarchy was continually modelled. And um, one of my recollections is that pretty much any man could be on the elders' board and they rotated that so almost every man could have a go. I think it was every two years or so. But women, women were never considered. I never saw a woman in the pulpit and even though it wasn't discussed that much, it was our experience. Yeah, we saw it in, in a whole bunch of manifestations, if you like. And it was, I actually became a Christian quite early on when I was about 10. And, um, and I became a passionate Christian. I was saved at a scripture union camp. And I often ask God, you know, how can I, as a girl, serve you? Because it was something that I was really passionate about. But the ministry roles that I saw that women were involved with being a pastor's wife or being an overseas missionary, they just didn't appeal to me at all. So even from quite a young age, I had this bit of a dilemma, what can I do? And I basically just volunteered for everything <laughs> that they would let me do. So I volunteered for music ministry, for um, camp ministry, because I got saved at a camp. I was very keen on that. Um, I taught Sunday school to small children. So I was very involved but very much on the sidelines. I would always say when I got older, I was ministering in the cracks. Wherever I could just find a little opening, I would squeeze myself in there. Oh, fabulous. And, uh, I mean, this was in Australia, in near Sydney? Sydney, yeah. And so at some point you, 
you started to be aware that the, the narrative you were given that, that women should play these particular roles may not be the correct one. At what point did that come? It was a slow, a slow process. So when I was about 20, I joined an Assemblies of God church and immediately I saw women involved in other ministries so they could teach adult Sunday school. Uh, but even there, women rarely preached from the pulpit. They could lead worship sometimes. But it was a very encouraging church, I have to say. So they were really encouraging for the abilities that they saw in me, and I have great memories of it. But they still taught that the man was the priest of the home and the senior leaders were all men. But it was it was still a lovely church to be a part of. So so you as you came into this understanding of the fact that actually maybe the scriptures could be read in a different way, that it could be interpreted differently. Were the particular key texts that you had to grapple with and you now have to share with those who seem to be opposing you? Um, so the verses that I grappled with aren't the ones that usually come up. So the, so the ones that people ask me about, uh, 1 Timothy 2.12 is at the top of the list. So I have to deal with that verse almost every day. And, and that's where it says, I do not allow a woman to teach or to domineer a man. Instead, she is to be quiet. So people focus on verse 12, but I think people need to just step back a bit and look at the whole passage beginning at verse 8 because Paul is addressing problem behaviour and correcting this behaviour from verses 8 to 15 in 1 Timothy 2. So in verse 8, there's angry, quarrelling men. And in verses 9 to 10, there's rich, overdressed women. And then from verse 11 to 15, I propose that Paul is speaking about a particular woman who needed to learn, as it says in verse 11, because she needed to learn she wasn't ready to teach, and also that she shouldn't domineer a man who is probably her husband, and she just needed to settle down a bit. So there's a lot more that can be said about these verses, and I think I've written over two dozen articles on this verse and the surrounding verses, um, looking at it from various angles because it is the verse that comes up the most. Um, so another passage that comes up quite a lot is 1 Timothy 3, where we have Paul's list of qualifications for um, overseers and occasionally 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 34 to 35, which says a woman should be silent in the churches for they are not permitted to speak but are to submit themselves, as the law also says. If they want to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, since it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. So again, like with 1 Timothy 2, these verses in 1 Corinthians 14, they're part of a larger passage where Paul is addressing and correcting problem behaviour from both men and women. So Paul tells tongue speakers to be silent, he tells prophets to be silent, and he tells women to be silent, but under certain conditions. So I think Paul in this passage, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, verses 26 to 40, he's silencing unruly, unedifying behaviour. On the other hand, he's encouraging ministries. He's encouraging ministries that build people up and that are done in an orderly way. And when he's encouraging people, especially at the beginning and end of 1 Corinthians 14, 26 to 40, he doesn't give a hint that some of these ministries um, are only for women. 
And in fact, in all of Paul's lists of ministries and in his general teaching on ministry, Paul doesn't say, well, these are only for men. They're, they're quite gender inclusive, especially in the Greek, which doesn't always come out. So the verse, the passage, though, that really impacted me the most in my journey towards egalitarianism was uh, Romans 12, verse 6 to 8. And I was just beginning to learn Greek then, and I was relying on my NIV 1984 edition of the New Testament. And I was also at this time just feeling a call that God wanted me to just step up a bit more and to be more involved in leadership, which I had really thought was just not for me. It wasn't for women. It was something that I couldn't do. So one night I was reading Romans 12, verses 6 to 8 in the NIV, and I actually said, see, God, I can't do these things. It's for men only because there's, I think there's like eight masculine pronouns and the word man or men appears a few times. I can't remember exactly. But if you read Romans 12, verses 6 to 8 in older translations of the Bible, it really sounds like these ministries are for guys only. But I was just starting to learn Greek, so I thought I'd have a little peek to see what it said. And I wept. I actually had real tears when I saw this is just as gender inclusive in the Greek as John 3.16. There are some similar grammatical structures. And it made a huge impact on me. And from that moment, I thought I need to look more into this. I need to find out what the Bible what Paul was really saying about, because it's usually Paul that's used against women being ministers. I need to find out what Paul was really saying. And since then, it's been about 10 years since I've been doing this, and I've become fairly convinced that the egalitarian view is consistent with scripture and consistent with new creation or, or new covenant ideals. Yeah, and just to... Um underline for those listening the egalitarian view is that uh, uh, men and women are equally able if if gifted to lead and to preach and to teach uh, the complementarian is obviously the view that uh, that men and women have been made complementary to each other but have particular roles within that both within marriage but also uh, within the church and uh, and in society yes i think for egalitarians ability and talents and natural dispositions, you know, we share the responsibilities in church life and in home based on the individual, whereas with complementarian, it's more no um, men have to do this because God has ordained them to be leaders and women are always um, in a submissive role. So in, in one of your blogs, Mark, you address uh, whether there are examples of women pastors in the New Testament. And uh, I came across this and was was fascinated by your answer. So uh, maybe you could just unpack that a little bit. Yeah, so people often ask me, are there any women pastors in the New Testament? And I say, well, there's no women called pastors in the New Testament, but there's also no men called pastors unless you... We talk about Jesus because it's it's the same word, shepherd, pastor. But there's no men identified as pastors of churches in the New Testament. In fact, the, the noun for pastor only comes up once in the New Testament in the context of church ministry, and that's Ephesians 4, verse 11. 
And here, as I said before with, with Paul's list, there's no hint that being a pastor is somehow out of bounds for women and that there are a few other ministries in this list. It's often referred to as the fivefold ministries. And in the Greek, there's no hint that these women are these ministries are only for men. So some people assume that Timothy was a pastor of the church at Ephesus, but the ministry terms or titles that Paul actually uses for Timothy, and there's only one exception to this, that's the word slave, but the other terms that Paul uses for Timothy, he also uses for for women as well because Paul was quite flexible. He, you know, would refer to himself as an apostle, but he would also refer to himself as a teacher. He would also refer to himself as a diakonos, which is often translated as minister or servant or deacon. So there weren't like fixed titles or fixed terms for ministries. And Paul might use three or four ministry descriptions or ministry terms for the one person. So if we look at Timothy as an example, most people would agree that he was leading the church at Ephesus as Paul's emissary probably. But the words that Paul uses for Timothy, like I said, they're the same words that he uses for for some women that we see in the New Testament. So Paul's favourite words for a fellow minister um, in descending order is co-worker. So that's his favourite word for a minister. And you can hear the sort of the collegiality in that word. His second favourite word for an identified minister, such as Timothy, is brother or sister. In fact, he refers to Timothy quite a lot simply as brother. Uh, Paul's third favourite word is diakonos, which is translated as minister or deacon, as I said. Paul uses this word for quite a lot of men and he also uses it for Phoebe. And Paul never uses this word for a normal servant. He always uses it uh, for an agent with a sacred commission and this is a particular word that I've put a lot of study into. Um, So his fourth favourite word is apostolos, which can be translated as apostle or missionary or emissary. And again, he uses it for men and women. Um, And Paul also likes to use words um, that mean labour or labourer for himself, for his uh, ministry colleagues and for a few women in Romans 16. So, yeah, Paul... When you look at the, um, when you recognise and see Paul's actual terminology rather than our own preferred words for ministers, we can see that women were ministers in first century churches, that some cared for congregations and some women would have functioned as pastors. When we think of what pastors do, they care for um, the well-being of their congregations. And, you know, when the church was just starting and Uh, when homes were so important because churches didn't have their own buildings for a couple of centuries, Um, the church really relied on men and women with a bit of money who had a bit of a large enough house to accommodate a a congregation. And women were there offering, opening their houses, caring for congregations materially and spiritually. Um, So some of these women who we know their names of functioned as pastors. Well, you're listening to The Leadership Show with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by Marg Moscow. We're talking particularly about um, leadership within the New Testament and particularly the fact that that women clearly were part of 
the apostolic team with with the apostle paul and there's no sense within the new testament that women shouldn't be involved in leadership and certainly that applies to to us today uh so mark moving on a little bit um some have an issue which you touched on already uh with the qualities of the elder or overseer in the letters to timothy and titus which seem to be a male certainly in our new testament translations that we have but you you would see that the the title is of a household leader rather than than, uh, a male per se? So the overseers in uh, 1 Timothy 3, I think, and it's not just me who says this, I think they're probably house church leaders. And I think it's fair to say that most of these people who are filling that role would have been men. So we know that women in the ancient world were in charge of their own households and we see Lydia seems to be in charge of her own household. Chloe seems to be in charge of her own household, Nympha and a a couple of other women. But by and large, I think most people in charge of these, of households and in charge of um, churches would have been men. And I think when Timothy 3 and in the first chapter of Titus, we do see that there's an assumption that these um, overseers and these elders will be men, but there's nothing that plainly says an overseer or an elder must be a man. And I know some people will argue about some of the phrases and we probably don't have time to go through that, but I I think another point that we need to bear in mind when we read uh, 1 Timothy 3 is that The bishops of the 2nd, 3rd and 4th century, what they were doing was different to what the overseers were doing in 1 Timothy 3, that they were probably just looking after house churches. And if we look at the qualifications that Paul outlines here, they were um, the qualifications of respectable people. So Paul's not even saying that overseers need to be able to pray well, they need to be able to teach well. There's no liturgical function given to them. He just wants the church to be respectable and that's his main um, concern. But we know that women were functioning in as um, in charge of house churches. So Nympha in, in um Colossians 4.15, she's a a notable example, and Priscilla with Aquila. Priscilla, you know, she was in um, when Apollos came to Ephesus and was preaching accurately, it says in Acts, um, Aquila and Priscilla, uh, Priscilla and Aquila saw this lack in what Apollos was saying and they took him aside and this uh, pulling him aside word can mean a, a couple of different things. But they were the people in all Ephesus that took this guy aside who was a teacher and who was an up-and-coming apostle. They took him aside and explained the word of God more accurately to him. So we see Priscilla um, acting as a leader. That's totally what a leader would do. That's totally what an elder would do, So you know, to correct the doctrine of a visiting teacher. So there's, there's all these signs in the New Testament that women were were leading and teaching and being missionaries and really looking after the church. Well, and Margaret, it's really helpful to 
uh, unpack these things in this way. As we look practically in terms of uh, those listening, perhaps who are women who have some kind of ministry, but perhaps are in um, environments where that's not welcomed. What do you say to those? Some some say, well, I stand aside because I don't want to cause offence. Others say, well, actually, no, God's given me this gift, so I need to forge on and maybe even separate from those who don't recognise what I'm doing. Um, you must have had those kind of conversations uh, with folk. What do you, what do you say? Um, well, funnily enough, most of the people that contact me aren't women like that. I've been in that position. I've had to step aside or just say, yeah, that's fine. I'm not going to pursue that, even though I could tick all the boxes for what they wanted. So the people who contact me the most are actually pastors and elders, and they're wanting to make a change in their congregations. And so they're asking me, you know, how can I argue certain points? Um, so it's not actually women who feel that they're not being used. Um, I'm just trying to think of an example of that. But um, but it, it's so the women who do write to me are often the ones who are really um, hurt by their churches. And these women might never have, they're not thinking, oh, I want to be a pastor or a leader or a teacher as such. But as soon as you say women can't do these jobs, these jobs that most people regard as quite important in the church, as soon as you say women cannot be pastors or elders or leaders, you're making a statement about the worth of women. So most of the women who contact me have no desire to be a pastor, but they're being hurt by a church where they just feel even just as an ordinary woman that they're not being valued. So the people who write to me the most are male pastors and elders or women who are really struggling with their relationship with God, who are losing their faith, and they don't want to lose their faith, but uh, sort of patriarchal cultures in churches can really hurt women. So I had a friend, so most of these conversations happen on the internet, but I even had a friend in real life and he was asked to be on a board of a Christian organisation, but he had to be an egalitarian to be on this board. So before COVID, he rang me up and said, oh, let's have coffee. I want you to convince me of egalitarianism. So these are the conversations that I have the most. Sure. Um, and in terms of the style of leadership, would you concede that women would, would lead differently? To men, or is that actually, you know, there's a that would be really stereotypical. There are so many different kinds of men, so many different kinds of women. You can't even make that sort of statement. And leadership uh, styles and leadership theories, <laughs> they're they're changing. So I don't think leadership has been scrutinized as much as it has throughout the whole of the history of the church as it has in the last few decades. And I think our leadership styles are becoming more relational. They're becoming kinder. Hopefully they're becoming more effective. Um, but one thing that I do like uh, what Paul says about his own leadership is that in 1 Thessalonians 2, he compares it to a breastfeeding woman. So that's a very motherly image. But he also compares it 
to a father. So I'm thinking, well, if Paul can minister as a breastfeeding woman and as a father, then surely a gifted woman can do that. And even Moses at one point um, speaks about his ministry. He's complaining to God and he's saying, I don't want to lead these women, you know, like, like a mother with small children and, and I think he uses um, sort of this breastfeeding analogy. But if you read it, uh, it's in Numbers 11, 12, it sounds as though that's exactly what uh, God wants him to do. God wants him to lead Israel uh, as a mother would lead children. So I think there's a lot to be said for a maternal style of leadership. And, you know, just as families function better when both parents are working together to contribute their perhaps slightly different temperaments, skills, passions, the church can only thrive if we're allowing men and women and people of different backgrounds, people of different experiences to share what God's given them in ministry. Well, Mark, it's, it's fascinating to chat with you and we could, I'm sure, do, do several more programs on these themes. But, um, um, but people can find your writing uh, by going to your website. So um, perhaps you can just outline your, how, to, how do people can get in touch. Well, my uh, website's margmosco.com, so marg, M-A-R-G, mosco, M-O-W-C-Z-K-O.com, um, and my handle at Twitter and Facebook is also margmosco. Do encourage people to, to read you because uh, we've only been able to touch on just a little in this conversation, but thank you so much for all that you shared today. And uh, I trust this will be of help to those particularly who need encouraging in this particular field. It's been my pleasure talking about my favourite subject. <laughs> Thank you. That was my conversation with Marg Moscow. If you take a different view to her, then I hope you found this illuminating. Uh, you'll need to do your own thinking before God. But if you're a woman called to preach and or lead, may God encourage you and lead you to good avenues of service in his name. And if you're a guy with opportunities for influence, I hope you're able to be even-handed in encouraging those gifted to serve, whether they be men or women. As always, there's uh, plenty more material on leadership uh, on Premier's own website, go to The Leadership Show, or via the podcast platform where you're listening to this from. This is Andy Peck, thanking you for your company and hoping we connect again soon. Bye for now. The Leadership Show with Andy Peck. Email andy.peck at premier.org.uk.